Welcome back to Desert Rain Community Radio. Today, David Morrison and I sit down for another episode of Dispatches from the Verge, where we cover uh, this idea of thin places, where heaven and earth come close together and maybe even intersect at times. We also discuss peak experiences and uh, sort of situations we can put ourselves in um, to facilitate experiencing a thin place. But before we get into that, or actually, uh, during the episode, David talks about a poem called The Peace of Wild Things by Wendell Berry. Uh, Afterwards, we did a little research and he actually uh, was referring to a poem by David Wagner called Lost. And at the end of this episode, he actually, we have him reading it. So, but before we get into all of that, thank you to Diego at Recording Moving Studios. He does all the editing and sound engineering on these. Thank you to Jacob at Monk Drums. That's what you hear in the background. Uh, If you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, check out theruin.com for other episodes of Desert Rain Community Radio, drcrpod.com is a place to go. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend and share us on social media. We appreciate you, and let's get into it. Mr. Morrison, David Morrison. Hello, Mr. Mason. Happy Saturday. Yes. I think we're both a little bit, I think our allergies are. I think it's a, Yeah. we are in the pollen. Yeah. We have weeds taller than horses. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're definitely taller than goats. Yeah. We, we were blessed with a lot of rain and now we're now the paying the price. <laughs> the pollen <laughs> baptism has started. Um, yeah. So today we, we uh, were talking about exploring this idea. We, we've touched on it in, in previous episodes, specifically um, the Celtic Christianity episode. That's a two-parter. I think it was our second and third episodes, which, yeah, early on. Yeah. By the way, the first part is the most listened to. Oh, really? Episode, and nice. it's like not even close. It's like twice, twice the, as high as all the other ones. The Celtic. Yeah. Oh, it's really interesting. That's great to know. There's interest out there. Yeah, I don't. I, I had I shared. I don't think I shared that. No, with you I didn't yet. know that. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so one of the things we wanted to expound on and and. Once again, with our amazing show prep, uh, I'm not sure if we cover it in the first part or the second part, but this idea of a thin place. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I, I, you'd do better at describing it. So, so could you tell us what a what this idea of a thin place is? Yeah. So it comes kind of from uh, Irish folklore, if you will. Uh, the, it's kind of a, a a local kind of saying. Apparently, uh, the normal distance from heaven and earth uh, is three feet, and but uh, in a thin place, it's much thinner. the The distance between earth and heaven, so it's heaven touching earth, is is the language that you use there. Yeah. So, and then anything can happen. It's a contact with the divine, an encounter with God, uh, a mystical experience, kind of thing. And every time I hear you give that description, the the thing that pops into my mind is that line from the 
the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and, and it yeah, and then it probably signifies also on the the crucifixion, the uh, veil in the temple tore. So there's a very thick veil in the, in the Jewish temple between the rest of the temple and the Holy of Holies. It's very small space where the Ark of the Covenant was, and so the the gospel stories that it that it tore in half, you know, during an right. earthquake as Jesus expired, kind of thing. And so it signifies that the the distance or the separation between spirit and matter, uh, the separation between heaven and earth, the separation between uh, all things mm. is is no longer. So yeah. it's, it's a non-dual consciousness, as Richard Rohr likes to say. And it, it, it seems like when we're we're striving to live in the moment, at least from my perspective, that's kind of what we're striving for. Yeah, for sure. You know? to, uh, yeah, I think that's what the kingdom of God mm. is. It's mm-hmm. it's that present moment. Uh, the edge of a photon, if you will, where time and space are no longer, uh, we're no longer under the rules of, of time and space. So, And uh, so this idea of a thin place <clears throat> um, and your, your understanding of it, you know, is that, is that just a physical place? Is it a, a, a emotional place, uh, a mental place, kind of what? What is your understanding of of how this, yeah. uh, you know, how how an individual might experience that, or, or I, even better yet, how have you experienced yeah. it in your life? I would think it's an evolution. So, a story comes to mind. Oh, nice. <laughs> a parable, <laughs> you have, if you will. Uh, <laughs> in the book of Genesis, you have uh, the patriarch Jacob. He's he's really uh, screwed up his family, deceived his dad, and screwed over his brother mm. and his mom helped him out to do this. And so he has to, he has to grab his hat and get the hell out of Dodge. So he's, he's in an open field and he's running for his life. Mm. Uh, his, his mom sent him away to some distant relatives. She's like, you know, it's time for you to settle down Go. and become a nice Jewish boy. Go lay low of course, they for weren't a little Jews bit. Yet. <laughs> they were, yeah, they weren't Jews yet, but uh, you know, that was coming. Yeah. And so he's in an open field. And he, he takes a stone pillow, which has always mm. fascinated me. Uh, he, he takes a rock as a pillow. And then he has this fascinating dream of a ladder. Mm. Uh, and and it's uh, going into the skies, touching heaven, mm-hmm. touching earth. And there are angels, messengers, divine beings uh, ascending and descending. And then he wakes up and he says, wow, God was in this place and I didn't even know it. And so he sets up. A, a rock, I think it was the pillow, if I'm not mistaken, uh, as a, as a monument, and he mm. calls it uh, Bethel, which means uh, the place of God, the dwelling of God, this field. Right. And then as he evolves and goes through, he reconciles with his brother, goes through all kinds of trials and tribulations, and uh, um, has a, another experience, not not quite visual, but uh, it was more of a an auditory kind of revelation, uh, covenantial, uh, you know, identity with, okay. with him being the Abraham's son and right. that kind of thing. So then he sets up another place and it's called El Bethel, which is the God of the place of God. So, so he evolved uh, from, it's no longer the place. It's no longer a temple. It's no longer a field. It's no longer 
a, a holy mountain. It's no longer a sacred well. Uh, it's it's the God of the place of God. Wow. And so and and so that signifies also. I keep saying signifies. Sorry. Um, the God beyond God, like Paul Tillich, the Lutheran theologian, would say. There's there's the God beyond God. Uh, so so any conceptual you know, any concept that you have of the divine, uh, once you capture it into language and into a thought, uh, it's, you know, as Augustine even said, uh, it's no longer God. It's your idea of God. Yeah. And C.S. Lewis, same thing. I don't want my idea of God. I want God. I don't want my idea of who my neighbor is, my friend is. I want to experience uh, a relationship with my friend as they are on their terms. And, uh, and so it's an ever-moving kind of dynamic it's a dynamic mm. relationship well it's um, funny too and i know i've brought this up on the on the podcast but this idea of like if you imagine god is as and for me I, I for some reason i picture my grandmother's house yeah but like god is sitting inside next to the fireplace yeah i need i need some kind of vehicle to get me to the house right so i drive my car there right but then at a certain point it stops working unless I want to crash through the garage and the living room, right. and, you know, and so then I have to get, I have to walk to the door. Right. And then I have to figure out how to get into yeah. the door. And, and for me, for my spiritual life, the car served me for, you know, so it's it, my idea of God served me for a certain distance of the, yeah. of the thing, but then I have to abandon it. And this is just my interpretation and find the next thing that's going to serve yeah, my path. Exactly. And usually it has to fail you. So Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and wow. so we so we have an experience of God. Let's say, let's say uh, I'll use uh, evangelical Christian terms. You you have a born-again experience. Mm -hmm. Or if you're a charismatic Christian, you have a, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You speak in tongues, mm -hmm. you you know. Uh, but what the ego does is it it uh, the religious ego, especially, uh, and what I mean by that is our tendency to control things mm -hmm. and to 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 be in power. Uh, we we try to freeze that into a book, so they'll, they'll go around and say I'm biblical. Well, that's oh. a dangerous statement to say you're biblical. Well, the Bible supports uh, a young man raping a woman, and then the law is to he has to obligated to marry her. That, that's that's biblical marriage. One of the versions one, one, yeah, of what? biblical marriage. So so these people that talk like that don't know what the hell they're talking about. And it also uh, in uh, it, you know lays out incest. Yeah, <laughs> in the Bible. Yeah, so. and there are prayers in the Psalms. Uh, throw their babies against rocks and oh. kill them. Let their brains rush out. So if you're that's a biblical prayer right yeah, there. That's you yeah, know we were uh, talking about this, or you were talking about yeah. this last Sunday or so, two Sundays ago. So you can so you can even so it's Bible idolatry is what that is. Mm. So you can have the same idolatry with a place. Usually, what happens though, the sacred place becomes a tourist attraction. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I'm not dismissing that. There, there's power in pilgrimage, and there's yeah. power in reading the scriptures. Uh, well, and we talked about it when I shared about the Camino de Santiago. Yeah, exactly. Compostela, so, the last city you're supposed to walk to, is a tourist. Yeah, place. it's loaded with trinkets. Yeah, yeah it's. But <laughs> then you leave there, or for me, I left the city for another three days of walking, and you reach the ocean. Yeah, and uh, you talk know, about a and thin that, place. Yeah, that would that for me was the thin place of the pilgrimage. Yeah, was seeing the ocean. the The cathedral was beautiful, right? And it was amazing to sit through mass. 
But at the end of the day, you look, you just had to do a, a 180 look back and forth and it was yeah. a tourist town. You know? Yeah. And there's, you know, there's power in, 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 in intentionality. Yeah. So, you know, 100%. if a group of people pray in a certain place or do sacred acts, uh, that kind of thing, uh, it, the, the place takes on a numinous quality, if you mm -hmm. will. And, but at the same time, yeah, uh, you can go to Assisi and buy a, a, a miniature keychain mm -hmm. license plate with your name on it. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, so you can go to the place and it may not be a thin place. So, so, so a thin place, yeah. So time and space seem to become irrelevant. The veil between what you normally see or don't see seems to be lifted and you say God was in this place and I didn't know it. And, and what do you, what would you speak to of like this idea of spontaneity? So I feel like every time I've encountered a thin, that's not true. A lot of times, most of the times that I've encountered that feeling of a thin place, there's been this uh, level of unexpecting of it. Yeah, very or, often. Or yeah. spontaneity of the of what kind of led me to that moment. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you you have any thought process or sort of ideas around this idea of, of spontaneity. Yeah, I think it usually seems to happen that way. Yeah. I, I can give an example. I was driving a couple of years ago uh, north on uh, Highway 20. What's the, the highway to Albuquerque? 25. I was going Albuquerque way and uh, in my uh, rental car. And, and so we're on the stretch of highway and late afternoon, the sun was, was kind of about to go down kind of thing. It was fully out, you know, right on the horizon. But, uh, and there were, there was a line of traffic kind of in front of me, except we were going, you know, like 80 miles an hour. Right. But there were like three or four cars in front of me and I'm about... Uh, you know, maybe about 10 feet mm -hmm. behind the car in front of me. And then there's cars behind me. Mm -hmm. So it was a very intense, intensely focused driving. So I'm driving there to try to not wreck. And we go over a, a bridge, you know, a highway bridge. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so, you know, so I see this in the peripheral vision. It was either uh, a colony of bats or or a group of birds, maybe swallows, mm. just shooting directly straight up into the sky in a fanning uh, fanning formation. I mean, shooting fast. Right. Just shooting up out of from under the bridge. Uh, and then, you know, and I could see it in the corner of my eye, and then I looked in the fields. There were some uh, uh, farmer's fields mm -hmm. there. And the way the sun, because it was that intense New Mexico afternoon sun that kills everything. Uh, <laughs> That's why we can have open meetings here. Uh, it kills the COVID. Um, was was really shining on the green. You know, this was like this was August, so so the fields were were at the peak green, right, going into harvest. So it looked like a Van Gogh kind of color painting. But I, but I'm focusing on driving at the yeah. exact same. So I'm in this intense present moment, and and it was. Uh, it was that was a thin place. It was it was almost like time stopped, and uh, and it was just eternity breaking into that moment, and uh, you know, and I felt I felt haunted and uh, transfixed, you know, kind of thing. I can't tell you how it changed my life, but it did. Well, and the, actually, my follow up or the continuation question is: 
do you remember how it affected you physically? No, because I was, uh, you know, I was physically uh, uh, tense because mm. I was, you know, trying to focus on not getting killed and driving or not killing someone else. But it was, but it was this, yeah, there was probably this, and when I do experience it, it's a common theme. It feels like there's an opening in the middle of my chest mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's all, uh, like eternity is spilling in and this realization that I'm, uh, in, you know, that uh, eternity is in my heart. Uh, and, and it's an amazing feeling. Yeah. I, wonder. I, it's the gift of wonder. Yeah. As Abraham yeah. Heschel said. Yeah, that's a perfect way because I, I always feel this sigh of relief, but it's it's not I'm not actually sighing. Yeah. It's like my my a, soul or my spirit is sighing. A deep inhalation. And this like, oh, everything is gonna be okay. Yeah. You know, I can remember. Uh I don't actually I don't think I've shared this this story. Um so my first week. And, you know, I, I know I've talked about my, my travels to Europe, but my first week on this pilgrimage, for lack of a better word, I rode, a, uh, is it a gondola up to the top of a mountain? Oh, yeah, yeah. And there was actually a Buddhist monastery. So this was in Switzerland, just outside of Geneva. And... I'd done all the touristy things and I, w- I had an extra day. So I was like, well, I'm going to go top of this mountain. So right, right up there. And there was a, actually a monastery up there, a Buddhist monastery, if I remember correctly. And I remember sitting on, just sitting, getting up there, sitting down and looking back down into the city, into the town and just having what, what, you know, that sigh, like yeah. everything is going to be okay. You know, and, and the thought process that led up to that moment. And it's it wasn't the thoughts that bring this along, right? Like, I think that's an important... You can't think your way into a thin place. Right. But or, I remember thinking, planet. like, had I not taken this trip, I or this... I was like, what would I be doing right now if I had not been taking this trip? And it's like, oh, I would be sitting in a cubicle in New Jersey right now, mm. not in the midst of all this beauty. Yeah. And then that that just sort of that flooding of that that thin place. Yeah, or look where I'm at. You know, and and um, so it wasn't completely spontaneous, right? Like there was planning to get on a plane yeah. to get to, but going up there, allowing my because I like to move around, walk, see as much as I can, right? But spending that 15, 20, 30 minutes, I don't even I couldn't even tell you how long I sat there. Yeah. 45 Yeah, because it became an eternal moment. Yeah. So you're still sitting there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're still there. Ah, Guru David <laughs> strikes again. <laughs> now go do dishes. <laughs> now get off the mountain and be productive. No, I'm just joking. Oh, um, but yeah, just, just that, you know, I am still there. You know, I, yeah. can, I can imagine the green. There's a lake. I can imagine the crystal blue yeah. reflection, you know, of the lake and, um, it's just like, man, I'll, I could have missed this. Yeah. And there are a million, you know, there's an infinite number of beautiful scenes I am missing also. Yeah. In other aspects of my life. But it was like, uh, yeah. Yeah. And it, and it is within you. You know, they asked Jesus that. What is this mm-hmm. kingdom? Where can we sign up and register and become citizens or whatever? Become members, official yeah. dues-paying members. And I want the deluxe package, you know, and uh, 
where you get the gold and the and the corona liquid that heals you uh and and he says to them uh the kingdom of god is not uh to be grasped at in the mm. in the sense where you can look over there and say it's there or it's here but it's within you it's it's inside of you so so often you do have to travel to have an experience like that, a, a peak experience. We can talk about that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a Jungian term, a peak yeah. experience in life, because uh, that's a thin place too. Uh, uh, but uh, so often you have to get out of your frame of because mm-hmm. you're asleep in your normal uh, activities, your normal habits, daily habits. So you so you get out of that. You travel a little bit, and then. Uh, it kind of you're kind of more open to having an experience of the present moment, the kingdom of God, or uh, the present moment, a divine encounter, if you will. Uh, and but I think ultimately the the purpose of a thin place opening up is to teach you mm-hmm. to look for a thin place exactly where you're at, and particularly in the gospel tradition, in the absolute shitholes of humanity, mm-hmm. the the shittiest, darkest. Uh, places well, where the, there's no hope and and you experience it there. And I think even more so for each individual, the places you're unwilling to go. Yeah, yeah, you're afraid of. Yeah. So I've experienced, you know, I, I didn't joyfully sign up to do, to sit with hospice patients, oh. say, yeah, I can't wait, or, or prison. I can't wait to go into prison or the refugees that we visited and um, – or even worse than all of those, uh, teaching eighth grade. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, those they'll, they'll get you. Well, it's or, funny because I did joyfully sign up to go visit the uh, the refugees, the asylum seekers, the people that were there. But then I would go and have my heart ripped out yes. every time. You know I guess I, I mean? had already known that that was going to happen. I had some experience from the past, I guess. So I was like, all right, let's go in and get our faces punched. <laughs> Yeah, putting your hand on the glass and and mm-hmm. and the and the you know and and the asylum seeker on the other side putting his hand on the glass and you you can't you're you sit in that helplessness and it's a very that's a thin place mm-hmm. even though there's plexiglass between us and uh, that's and that's where it really begins to mm-hmm. to become real and intense. Uh, well, and to go the so when you were telling the story about. Um, Jesus talking about you, you know you can't grasp for it. The the other uh, parable that or it's not a parable but experience that's um, depicted in the Gospels is it? I might be pronouncing this wrong. The Transfiguration, right? Yeah, yeah. So maybe if you could speak of about how that is a representation of a thin place, because you know afterwards he's like. You know, don't tell anyone you saw this. And yeah. like, we could put up tents and right. make this a, a place. Yeah. So it's it's to not, you know, I mean, that's for contemplatives and mystics, that story is probably, a, you know, a central theme and story in the Gospels. But, um, but so one of the lessons would be, uh, yeah, you're willing to climb the mountain and see Moses and Elijah, but they, you know, and see your best friend and your, teacher uh translucent in front of you and to hear audible voices uh you know who doesn't want us <laughs> right who doesn't want that <laughs> yeah that's better than disneyland uh 
you know, because that Moses isn't automatro- uh, you know, isn't an uh, automated yeah. uh, AI thing. Uh, but the but the the greater work is to be willing to climb down from the mountain. And it says, you know, when they woke up from their terror and fascination, it said they they found Jesus alone. Jesus mm. alone, that that phrase. Uh, and so, uh, and then you have to take that trek down. And yeah, and he tells mm. them to keep your, keep your trap shut, you know, till after I rise from the dead. And they're like, what does that mean? <laughs> rise from the dead? What does, he, what does that mean? And so, so yeah, so we have to be willing to not be attached to mm. the experience. You have to let that experience go. Uh, you have to do that with your everything, though, mm-hmm. with your work. You do your work and then you let it go. Uh, there's no legacy building here. Uh, you you do the dishes and you let it, the dishes go. Yeah, you don't go around for the next week being like, "Hey, man, I washed the dishes." Yeah. I'm a night. dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, you know, how so many, you know how clean those dishes were. Yeah, I, I mean, th- I guess you can do that. And I think we're in so that a temptation. I think we're in a collective identity crisis in this. Maybe the world right now. Definitely the the first uh, uh, the first world. It's a first world problem right now. Or even a Western. A we- yeah, maybe Western. Mm. Uh, w- which is my identity is not in my work as much anymore. Hmm. You know, there are, uh, I don't know, millions, maybe thousands. And there's a significant portion of the population that learned to take risks this last year with COVID because hmm. everything became a risk, right? Uh, they lost their, their job or their job got put on hold and they had to stay home. Just going out of your home was a risk. Your kids going, you know, uh, People are uh, spraying bleach on the bottom of their shoes. Mm. I ruined a pair of pants like that in wiping, the early pandemic. W- wiping down the, each individual item <laughs> yeah. from the grocery store. I'm going to spray bleach on my broccoli, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And so, so people learn how to take risks. And so now they're not returning to work mm-hmm. uh, because they can take that risk. That's another risk I can take. And I can, I can uh, seek out a deeper meaning for my life than just my job identity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and besides that, the unemployment paid better than the actual job. And that's, that's a problem too. Right. <laughs> when yeah. unemployment pays more than your job. And, and some would say, well, then cut the unemployment, which <laughs> no pay a decent wage <laughs> dork. Uh, anyway, I guess I'm a communist because I believe uh, if you work 40 hours a week in this country, you should be able to support a family. Uh, I guess I'm a commie. So, oh, well. <laughs> You damn communist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, even just going back to this idea of, of making an identity out of anything. Yeah. And become an idol. Maybe all instances, it's it's gonna fail you. It will. And that's the process. It needs to. Yeah. The Bible needs to fail you. Your idea of God needs to fail you so that you can move forward into a deeper meaning and deeper experience. It's a hard process. People don't want to do that. So, you know, for for those, you know, and you probably haven't got this far into our our series of podcasts if you don't you don't have some leaning towards Christianity or spirituality. But for those that maybe don't, you know, atheist, agnostic, um, in the midst of a deconstruction, so that you know there isn't a title. Yeah, for for whatever their wherever their state is with with that idea, how 
so the first thing that pops to mind is like nature, but, but how would you sort of, what would be a North star you would point to for someone that maybe isn't religious, yeah. but is interested in this idea of, yeah. um, of a thin place. Those evil, uh, secular humanists out there, uh, <laughs> and atheists. I think in, there's a Hasidic tale that I'm remembering, uh, where a group of uh, students asked the, their rabbi, uh, well, what about, what about atheists? What about those that don't believe? Aren't they the worst? And, and the rabbi said, no, they're the best, actually, because when they do good works, they do it without any expectation of reward. Mm. And so it's a good work for the sake of good works, for the sake of Just seeking. And God will no way uh, ignore that. And so uh, turned it on its head kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, and, and ultimately, in, in the contemplative tradition in Christianity, um, to, I think we've, we've covered this before, but Thomas Keating uh, simplified it by saying, you start off with, there is no God. That's your first stage. And then, and then the second stage is, uh, there is no other. There is no God. There is no great other out there. Mm. Uh, the second is, is, oh, there is an other. There is a God, and I'm not that God. And so how can I... Uh, be in right relationship with this other, with this God. And then the third would be, uh, there is no other anymore. There is no God. Mm. Because, there is no separate God because you're one. Uh, and so it's a powerful evolution. Popular Christianity is not interested in that. Right. Uh, Teresa of Avila said, don't even bring it up publicly. It's not worth uh, the trouble that it's going to bring you. Um, cause they'll just brand you a heretic or. And how long ago was she alive? Uh, 1500s. <laughs> yeah. So not much has changed. Yeah. Time. No, it hasn't changed as far as not bringing it up in public. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. So, so with, uh, you know, uh, someone that, that isn't a, a theist, uh, and doesn't hold those kind of religious beliefs, uh, beauty still exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, wonder still exists, and, and and in many cases, they're not burdened by the baggage of religion. Because because if you grew up with religious, like, like you know, uh, beliefs like we did, there's a lot of baggage you have to mm. to unload. There's a lot of untanglings, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, <laughs> a lot of what have yous, and uh, and so a lot of times people like that aren't burdened by that and mm. and can can almost. Uh, so the rest of us are in line because we're following the, the religious rules. Following the book. But they have the fast pass and they go in front of the line often and, and go directly in. And so so I don't, yeah, I don't dismiss non-theists. Uh, um, so, in fact, a lot of times uh, one of the, the pitfalls of religious, of theism is that, uh, well, this life... This life is not really the show. This life is the sideshow. That you know, mm. there's this feeling of. But what really matters is getting to heaven, right? And so it's not about this life; it's about the next life, and uh, and so they miss the present moment. They miss the kingdom of God by waiting for the kingdom of God, by relegating it to some future, a disembodied future, uh, which Jesus and the Jewish tradition don't teach. The early church did not believe that some disembodied, separate heaven, you know, or you're an angel on a cloud kind of thing. The New Testament doesn't teach that. And so, um, and so, so a non-religious person knows that this life is it. 
Mm. And so they enter into this life. They this show up moment. to their life, show up to this moment. The way, and like Annie Dillard said, the way you spend the present moment is the way you spend your life. Mm. And so often uh, those people are, are very much ensconced. The problem is they don't have the confidence of, uh, of the, and I mean ignorant confidence of the religious. And so they're, they're not very vocal and, and they don't have the need to, to be confident either in that vocal and all that. Yeah. It's f- <laughs> it except go, for the it's new funny. atheists they do, but well, I was going to say, it's funny because it seems like the people that are, um, uh, this idea of like ignorant confidence, uh, the people that are the most shaky in their beliefs. And this is just my observation. I might be off seem to be the most dogmatic yeah. about what, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Christianity, if it's atheism, like they got to prove that they got to prove their point. Right. Yeah. You know? And it's like, I'm, I'm not arguing. I, you might be right. Like, yeah. I'm not arguing with you, man. They're like, no, no, no. I got, you know, and it's like, uh, it seems, it seems as though if people have made peace with whatever it is, you know, whatever it is yeah. that brings them into this moment, whether it's, you know, the Buddhist monk on the, on the hill or the, um, you know, the, the atheist working at the local coffee shop who, you know, every, every cup of coffee is their, their grand yeah. thing for that moment. Um, their work of art, their masterpiece for that moment. Um, you know, to the painter who, you know, lives out in the, in the country and in a small community and, and maybe, you know, very few people ever see their paintings, Yeah, but it's, it's what changes their life and brings them to yeah, the moment. Yeah, it's the process itself. Yeah. I think it was Bertrand Russell who said, uh, the problem is the, the people that know don't have the confidence because they know. Mm. And the people that don't know anything and are absolutely ignorant have absolute confidence in that ignorance <laughs> and they're vocal about it. And that's pretty much the world situation. Well, that's even my, I just look, I look at my life. I sometimes joke about, man, I wish I was 16 again because I yeah. knew everything yeah. and I would tell you about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, um, but you know, obviously as I grow older, it's like, oh, that, that kid didn't know, literally know anything, Yeah, you know? And it just, that, that sort of ignorant confidence that, you know, but I had to be that person for that season of my yeah, life. Yeah, to get where you're at. Yeah, so there's a, yeah, so there tends to be a hatred towards your previous self. Mm. Uh, what a what a knucklehead that that guy was. Uh, but no, that knucklehead got you where you are now, and so there's no amputations of your previous selves, no matter how dark it got, and no matter how uh, committed to evil you may have been. Uh, that person has to be embraced because that person's you still. Uh, no, I'm a new creation. Well, it's not, you didn't become a separate self. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, part of that idea of new creation might be true, but it's informed by all yeah. the moments you had leading up to exactly. that quote unquote new creation. So, so just dismissing it as the old has passed away. It's under yeah. the blood of Jesus. Uh, that, that doesn't, that's, that's spiritual bypassing at its right. best. You know? You're not really showing up to your life at all. Well, and that, that's one of the, one of my favorite, um, passages from the recovery world is, um, 
will no longer fear the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Yeah, that's great. That's very wise. And I can remember hearing that early, early of not drinking. I'm not even going to say sobriety. I was just, you know, barely able to not drink and being like, oh, these people, they don't know the shameful things I've done, the people I've hurt, um, you know, all, all those things that make me different than my neighbor, right? Yeah. Or that I perceive to make me different. And sure enough, everything I've I've encountered in my past, at some point, even if it was just a one-on-one conversation, being like, hey, you know, I I went through this, which sounds very similar to what you're going through. Um, so maybe we can talk about it. Or I can just listen, you know, not even talk yeah. about it. like I can I can hear you, you know, I can hear you where you're at. And I never thought that idea of fear of my past and shutting the door on it would come true in a real way. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's not spiritual bypassing, right? Like, right. No, it's it's facing difficult realities. And not that I'm proud of those things, right? Like those things that I had shame about and that the people I hurt, like, it's not something like, Oh, you know, I overcame this. It's like, well, no, I can use it as a tool to help someone else. And I can still be like, not all that proud about it, but if it helps someone else, then who am I to keep it to myself? Yeah. You know, and I've also tried to go back to those people and make things right. That's the other process. Yeah, that's a part of the. So, um, but, but, but this thin place. Yeah, sorry. No, 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 no. (laughs) I think, I, I think we're going in a really good direction, but just, um, what, what was the, um, the other term you had brought up? A peak experience. Peak experience. Yeah. And sort of what, what what is your understanding of that idea or how does that overlap with with this idea of the thin place? I think a peak experience would be you in yourself become a thin place. Uh, it's mm. the, so to use Christian language, you're filled with the spirit, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's this sense where everything around you is much bigger than your immediate life. Uh and and you're a part of something much bigger, uh, and you're a part of a cosmic story, not just the story of your personal life, uh, but but you're a part of the cosmic story, the gospel itself, uh, to use Christian language. And so, and you and you have this awareness of of that. Um, and again, it's usually a, a present moment experience. When you're in the present moment, you don't know you're in the present moment, right? So it comes by recollection. Your brain catches up, and you realize. Wow, that was, yeah, I was in the present moment. Because <laughs> once you once you think, once you have the conscious thought of it, at least I've I've experienced it in like meditation. Yeah, like oh, I'm in the moment. As soon as you th- have that thought, it it evaporates. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's a life altering thing, you know. So you might, so it might be a deep identity kind of thing where you, a, a self discovery. You're faced with your own astonishment, uh, a creative. Uh, experience happens where you, you, it almost felt external, uh, and and so that that or a child is born and you awaken to something greater than yourself. I think that's a very common mm. thing uh, when when your own child uh, is first able to take your your finger, to, you know, mm-hmm. in their right. hand. You know, that's a, that could be a peak experience. Uh, maybe someone that you uh, are married to for decades but you you make eye contact and you see each other anew for the mm. first time and you're like, oh, who is this person you know and that could be 
a, a horrible peak. So who is that? I got to get this guy out. I'm kicking this man out of my bed. What have I done with my life? How have I kept this, this guy around for so long? Uh-oh. And so, so those, those, are, those are peak experiences. Uh, and again, identities can be tricky because they have mm-hmm. to be surrendered and they have to be let go of. But there is a part of your life, a, a section of your lifespan where you do need to build identity. I think Carl Jung said that you spend the first half of your life building up an identity. Mm. Who am I? What am I here for? What differences am I making? What's the meaning of my life specifically? Not of life itself, but my life. Uh, and then you spend the second half of your life surrendering that identity piece by piece, oh. surrendering it and dismantling it. Realizing uh, that's not actually you. Yeah. Or maybe it's what is maybe the first half of your life is, what is the meaning and purpose of my personal life? And then the second one is uh, I'm entering into the meaning of life itself, uh, you know, a greater, a greater life, life with a capital L kind of thing. And mm-hmm. um, so, so there's a lot of that. And, and you know, and, and in Christianity, it's very, it's, it's the core of Christianity. Uh, in what sense? Uh, in the bu- book of Philippians, uh, Paul quotes an earlier hymn, if you will. Of, mm-hmm. So so it's probably the oldest Christian, uh, I don't want to say doctrine, because it was more of a proclamation. It came out of song. It came out of okay. uh, a revelation of, of what this Jesus event meant. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's very early. We're talking uh, maybe within a decade of, of the resurrection event. And it says, you know, uh, Put Christ Jesus in your mind. Consider Christ Jesus, who was in the form of God, was equal with God, and didn't see that as anything to be grasped at, to be demanded, uh, to be expected, to be treated as such, but instead emptied that, that powerful word, that Greek word, kenosis. But instead, he emptied himself and took the form of a slave uh, intentionally, the lowest, the last place in humanity that he could take and uh, to the point, and he followed it to the point of being crucified as a criminal. Uh, and that's the greatness. That's why every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that, that Christ is Lord. So he quotes that. And, and mm-hmm. that's really the early, I, I think you can argue that's the earliest new Testament scripture, if you will, right. it's the first revelation uh, as far as chronological time mm-hmm. and, that's that's power. That's that keeps me at the Christian table uh, more than anything else. That that uh, it's not you know God Almighty doesn't impress me at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but God in absolute vulnerability that's mind blowing to me. So so if God showed up as a being and said I'm God Almighty, I would say all right. Uh, you know what about the Holocaust? You know, sleep at the wheel. What happened there? Uh, <laughs> You get distracted by one of the other yeah. planets. <laughs> oh, I'm going to destroy you. Okay. I don't have to hang out with you anymore then. <laughs> no, I won't exist anymore. I'm going to send you to eternal torment and damnation. Okay. I could probably get used to that after 50,000 years, you know, I'll make a home of it. Yeah. But, but then, but God who could be almighty and shows up in absolute broken vulnerability, that was astounding to me. Why would, would God do that? And, and so, that that's very powerful to me. Um, so that's the surrendering process of your own life. That's the invitation. 
um, you build up an identity and you surrender that identity and, and surrender is a, is a big theme and you won't hear it in popular Christianity. Uh, those verses don't get, uh, taught too much. You know, it's, it's all about self empowerment for the American dream that Jesus wants you to live a comfortable uh, life enveloped in cotton. But that's not, that's not really what it, what it teaches or demonstrates at all. Well, and I think too, this idea of surrender also, um, at least for me, provokes this idea of change. Yep. And, uh, I, you know, the conversation before this one, one of the topics that came up is how terrifying change is. Um, and that's, for me, that's one of the interesting things of this, uh, idea of an ego is the ego is the one that's pointing me back to the familiar. Yeah, safe, the, comfortable. In, yeah, in the sense yep. of like, I've been with you for decades. I've gotten you through we've, this. We've, we've done this and that, you know. And so my first experience with having to like trip over that and, and reach for something else was getting sober, right? Yeah. Um, because it was like, you've always drank. Like, that's such a big part of who you are. Like, yeah. what will you be if you don't have that? Blah, blah, blah. But then as I get older, it's like, uh, there's other things, right? Like, um, and it's, and that, that is I, in my observation, that's sort of part of the human experience Yeah, is like surrender equals change equals the unknown. And for me, and I think a lot of people, uh, that I, that frightening terror of like, well, what yeah. will I become? Yeah. So, uh, a peak experience that comes to my mind in my life would be uh, two of them. Uh, one was in my early, I was in eighth grade, um, you know, at, at a small Catholic school. Mm. And our teacher didn't really want to teach religion class, so it was m- more of a homeroom kind of time. Kind of hang out. He would, he would pass out the religion books. Yeah. And I already read just the one chapter on the Christian mystics, and that's all I re- <laughs> I just would read that every time. And so... He picked me. He, he called me up to his desk and he said, "Hey, uh, there's a there's a third grader struggling with his math. Uh, can you use this class to go down the hall and mm. tutor this kid?" And, and what grade were you in? Eighth, Eighth grade. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, "Well, all right, I guess." So I so I was all yes, Mr. Anthony. And so I go up the hall and uh, so this little kid and we just we did math for. I don't know, semester. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not a math guy, well, you know, gonna, but I, I don't know how that funny. happened. It was so bizarre. <laughs> that he picked you. Yeah, because I was not the brightest Crayola in the, the sharpest or the brightest Crayola <laughs> in the box in that class. And, uh, but yeah, it was very, I, I wrote good essays. Uh, yeah. I was the essay guy. Uh, my history teacher would always, because I would pre-write the essay before the test. And and then right, so my history teacher was oh, like, "Who does that? Oh, Who I writes see, their see. essay before the class, uh, before the test, and then rewrites it again?" And so anyway, uh, so I sat with this kid and did his math. And then you know the semester was kind of. I think we were. I think the school year was ending, uh-huh. and we were at mass and uh, Friday mass. And this this uh, woman comes up to me and. It was it was the the boy's mother, mm. and she was crying, and she was just like, "You helped my my son is loves math and is passing, and you've changed his life." You know, she was just yeah. like crying and handed me a card with money in it. 
a thank you card with with cash in it, and I and I I was like, I, I could get used to this. <laughs> You're like I'm rich. <laughs> <laughs> I've made it. I could buy a Rolling Stones record. <laughs> I'm going to Sound Warehouse tonight. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, there was this feeling I was meant to do this. Oh, it's very sense of I, I this is what I'm supposed to do with my life and then so you know I go off to college and I was very my plan was to you know still very much involved with the church and preaching mm-hmm. and, and pastoring and all that but I didn't really want to go to seminary right maybe master's work is what I was thinking mm-hmm. so, but I wanted to stay in El Paso so I went to UTEP and my and my degree at the beginning was uh, I wanted to be a, a, a foreign correspondence uh, a foreign correspondent uh, journalism. in journalism. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I never knew that. And specifically print general journalism. That's That was very prescient of me, right? The late yeah. 80s or, or early 90s. Uh, you could see where, I'm the, gonna go into you print. Gonna see where the industry was going. <laughs> yeah. This internet thing is just a fad. Uh, and so, yeah, I wanted to, to be a, to try that. And then, and then I would pick up a master's degree in, in, theology or something mm. or pastoral ministry so you know that's kind of where i was at and then uh one day it was like a sleepy afternoon i may have mentioned this we may have discussed this i don't know i'm one of those guys that retells and retells the story and and it doesn't even get bigger it gets smaller you know so, <laughs> but i but i uh it's a sleepy afternoon i went by myself to a movie uh called dead poet society with um. robin williams and I was just, it lit a fire under me. And that, that week I changed my major to uh, secondary education. And, and the, I have to do this no matter what. I have to, to be in a classroom and teach and be like that and do that. And, and then, uh, so my first assignment as a, you know, I did the student teaching. I did all that. Right, right, right. Uh, but my first assignment, group of eighth graders and this little skater kid, uh, he goes, Mr. You're like that teacher in Dead Poets Society. And I was like, hell yeah. You're like, I can retire now. <laughs> yeah. It was just, yeah. And that was the first, first, uh, yeah, classroom. And so, and that feeling of getting your own classroom and then, and then having to pack your crap and move out. But, you know, as yeah, te- yeah. you teachers out there know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, I got, I got to quote unquote help. My mom was a teacher. Yeah. So she would take us to set up the class and to tear it down at the end of the year. One of my mentor teachers, Elizabeth Shaw, she was a, an amazing teacher. It still is. Uh, she had to travel, and she had a giant uh, Walmart cart that she packed her mm-hmm. stuff. Would go around the school pushing a Walmart cart. Uh, but anyway, that yeah, that was a peak experience. It was like I was in a dreamlike state almost. Mm-hmm. There was this intense feeling of this is your purpose. This is your uh, path. Uh, this is the work that's set before you to do. And so it's a, it's a peak experience. It's a thin place uh, experience. And, and just to clarify a little bit, I don't want people listening to get confused. It wasn't the fact that you got the card with the money or the skater kid telling you you were like the teacher from Dead Poet Society. It was the process leading up to those oh, things. Oh, yeah, yeah, Totally. Yeah, those are just little signs to say, mm-hmm. yeah, this is because yeah, there were terrible days in teaching too. Yeah, <laughs> horrible, terrible. Uh, middle school kids 
No matter how well you hide your insecurities, middle school kids have a supernatural ability to know your insecurities and to bring them out in front of everyone in public and humiliate you. They're, they're amazing creatures, these, this, this population out there. Because what would that be, 13-year-olds? Yeah, 12, 13, 14. Yeah, yeah they're, they're horrible human beings. <laughs> And so they, they will needle you. They can just look, they can look at you and they see. They know immediately. Yeah, it's like the the uh, the Terminator, <laughs> and it profiles them. And behind their eyes is a profile. Uh, he's very embarrassed about A, B, and C. He wets the bed. He wet the bed when he was a kid. They know these supernatural information, yeah. and they bring it out. Mister, you wet the bed. How did you know? No, I did not. Really? So yeah. Uh, so there were terrible days too, you know, obviously, and there were uh, hard things when you of course. teach school. You know, I had a kid that was living in a car with his family, mm. and, and he died a few years later of a disease. You know? Oh, wow. Yeah, he died in high school. Oof. So there were very hard things. I had another kid in the early years. was in a backseat of a car. They went on a drive-by shooting, and, and the homeowner shot back, and he was killed at oh, wow. 14, you know. So there, there are difficult things like that. So I'm not, I'm not. So peak experience doesn't lead you into uh, a land of shits and giggles, you know. <laughs> it, you know, it, but it, but it, at that moment, though, yeah, mm -hmm. there's this deep surging of of a sense of meaning, mm -hmm. a sense of uh, uh, making a difference for being on on the planet, kind of thing. Uh, and it doesn't matter what you're doing to make the. It's not a giant thing, you know. We, we can talk about that. Uh, about exceptionalism. Yeah. Know. I think that's what we're going to visit. <clears throat> well, if we record next week, um, yeah, or two weeks from now, but anyways, so yeah. So peak experience, a thin place. Yeah. Uh, they're all, th that's what we're talking about here. Beauty and wonder, a supernatural connection, a human connection. All of those are, are a thin place. And the more you experience them, the more you see them, Mm -hmm. happening everywhere and then you don't have to travel necessarily to the to the himalayas and, uh, <laughs> you don't and have go to see climb, some guru uh you know, climb mount at first yeah you don't have to go death. to that to the to the uh steel uh box cathedral at the mega church in mm. denver colorado or whatever and, and go meet pastor so-and-so you know mm -hmm. you don't need to do that anymore. yeah and you it, it, I, I mean i think the beautiful part about it is it becomes optional you can still do that thing, yeah, yeah. But it's it's not. It just for doing it. It's not. You don't have this expectation of the supernatural, yeah, coming in because you're able to step outside your back door, yeah, and you experience a supernatural in some way there, yeah. And you're like, oh, it's all around. Because in the charismatic world, it's a uh, yeah. You have to get to a special meeting, a conference, a uh, Holy Ghost conference. I see. Uh, you know, and we spent our whole youth doing that. Uh, like, like a lot of uh, kids would save up their money and go to a uh, go to Cancun, yeah, or a concert <laughs> festival, oh, a music yeah, yeah. festival, you know, yeah, kind yeah. of thing, or Burning Man or something like that. Yeah, when I was uh, growing up, it was Cancun. Yeah, that so. was the high school cool place to go. <laughs> Let's go and get shit faced been. in Cancun. <laughs> so for us, it was these Christian conferences. And, okay. You know, so have a Holy Ghost peak experience to be transformed to not leave this place unchanged and and there were supernatural things that happened and mm -hmm. strange phenomena and all that um but, well, but those it things, also shaped you to who the man you are today yeah exactly yeah. and and uh 
so I embrace them and right. I, and I, uh, but I don't need them anymore, mm. you know, and to the chagrin of my, uh, friends who are still in Your that peers. world. Yeah. They think I'm, I've gone lukewarm. I'm cold. I'm, uh, I went liberal. Uh, it's funny. I was laughing with this pastor, an ex pastor who, uh, we, we meet regularly. Uh-huh. Uh, but it wasn't so 10 years ago. <laughs> and, right, 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 right. And so right. someone that, uh, was at odds with him 10 years ago, uh, just told me that, uh, uh, she basically had to tell him, look, they were, they were making her join the church and come up with these commitments. And she does, she just didn't want to do that. Yeah. She just wanted to, to serve the homeless and, but they wouldn't let her do it without signing up for these classes. And interesting. And, and so he's being very controlling and we laugh about it now. The, the ex pastor. And I, oh, you're saying that they were doing this 10 years ago. Yeah. 10 years oh, okay, ago to okay, this, yeah, yeah. this woman and you ended re- up and this woman was going to their church, but she started coming to out here mm-hmm. And so, so she said, well, then I guess I just don't believe in your God. And then he, and then he, she told me uh, that he said, uh, oh, who do you believe in? David Morrison's God. <laughs> <laughs> and now he and I meet regularly. Yeah, you guys are, are buddies now. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, it's just strange how things turn around like that. So, you know. Well, and everyone's at their, that the different season, right? Yeah. And that just sort of the. Yeah, just just sort of how it plays out. Um, and he's more radical than I am. He shocks me. I'm like, what? Wow. So uh, I I think just to to sort of put a to, to put a bow on it of we have it we have these super, there is a supernatural. There's the human, and every now and then there's this overlap. Yeah. To what we what what we're identifying today is a thin place, um, and this <laughs> this is going to be a weird question, but you know, for those those out there that just are feeling lost in this moment, you know, what 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 sort of uh, words of encouragement or just um, uh, yeah uh, peace you might give to them that that you know that thin place might be around the corner for them, and it might not be too. yeah. Yeah, you know, in the old days, I would have said, your breakthrough is coming, wait mm-hmm. on the Lord. Uh, and and there's some of that that's true, wait. Mm-hmm. Th- that idea of waiting, it's a, it's a common theme in throughout the scriptures. Right. Uh, uh, to wait on, on God, which means to sit still. Uh, but I, I think there's a poem by Wendell Berry, The Peace of Wild Things. I could be wrong on that. But he basically says, you know, if, when you feel lost, uh, sit down in the woods, you know, you're lost in the woods, sit down and realize the trees aren't lost. The animals aren't lost. Everything around you is not lost. And so the conclusion is, you know, I'm butchering it. Uh, therefore, you're not lost. And so I would say uh, sit in your lostness, your sense of mm-hmm. being lost, uh, you know, and, and you'll realize a lot of it is just your fear of being lost that's really consuming you. And that fear is just trying to get you to despair. Uh, but if you just accept the lostness and sit in it and wait, yeah, uh, you either become comfortable with it and, uh, and, and something will emerge, yeah. uh, almost always. Something will emerge within you, some sort of peace, some sort of uh, uh, peace with uncertainty mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of thing. And, and there are millions of people who have no option but to be at peace with uncertainty. 
Right. Physical lies. We we were just talking about. How do yeah. you pray in a region where a drone could destroy your the building you're praying in at any moment? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people that that go shopping just to get food for their family, and a car could blow up that day, mm-hmm. and 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 it's very likely that that could happen. Right, because it it happened two weeks before. Yeah, but they get up yeah. and they go about their their life again, and uh, yeah, it's a powerful thing. And so mm-hmm. there's a solidarity too in your lostness with with people that are in true lostness, you mm-hmm. know, external. Uh, if you will. So I don't know. I kind of butchered that, but no, that's I, no, I think that's that, you know, that's, that's what we're shooting for. And um, yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. It was another good one. Uh, thank you for everyone listening. As always the drums in the background, monk drums. Thanks to Jacob Nedia for that. Um, to read some of uh, David Morrison's writings, prayers, musings, poems, theruin.com you, you can also learn about uh, desert rain community sort of learn about uh the goings-ons uh there as well uh, drcrpod.com is the place to you can find other dispatches from the verge as well as our other series um road to desert rain and uh by the time we release this one this i might cut this out but we're also going to be introducing um, conversations uh, where it's not just David and I, but there, there's a third person. Um, we have one. Uh, the first one that will be released is with Jacob Nedia surrounding the labyrinth and sort of the ideas in and around that. So um, be prepared to hear that. Uh, we appreciate you and have a wonderful day. Lost by David Wagner. Lost. Stand still. The trees ahead and bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here. And you must treat it as a powerful stranger. Must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen. It answers. I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again. Saying here. No two trees are the same to raven. No two branches are the same to Wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you.